What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Yeah. So, metal and punk, who's your favorite punk band? Favorite punk band? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, can you just pick one? I don't know. Hey, okay. favorite. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Were you like a Misfits fan? I was, yeah, I was like, I was in, I was into the Misfits. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I was like, I was, in, I was into the Misfits. The Clash, um, you know, Black Flag. Black Flag was good. Uh, you know. Did you ever hear, it was 79 or 80, Earth AD Tour. Uh, Misfits had Henry Rollins come on stage and they did We Are 138. Did you ever hear that? Like a live yeah. recording of it? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Epic, dude. Epic. I mean, I was a... I grew up huge. Well, I didn't grow up a huge Misfits fan, but I grew into becoming a Misfits fan. Yeah. And uh, I just... I, I became obsessed. Yeah. I mean, have you have you ever listened to, like, any of the Misfits after Danzig, after, like, 82, when they no. disbanded? No, because, like, I went... You know, so it was, like... It was like middle school, and like I started getting into that. Yeah. Um, you know, listening to you know, I was listening to Danzig and and some Salween and and uh, and you know, of course, of course, then just Danzig. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I think still Mother's probably one of the greatest metal songs of all time. Like <laughs> it's one of the greatest stripping songs yeah. of all time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um. But like. But you know, I was like into that. Like. Yeah, but but then I never really like followed up with like Danzig after that. And then right that that was like middle school, and then that was so that's like eighty nine, ninety in that like time yeah. frame. And then I lived in Seattle or Bellevue, just the suburb of Seattle. But growing up, and then all of a sudden like grunge, grunge, and like sub pop records, and yeah. like what's going like. And so like he started, I started getting into like Mud Honey, Mud Honey, and Soundgarden, and Tad, and Green River. Um, you know, in Nirvana, of course, yeah. is the is those bands started coming up, and then obviously, right, it's, you know, big through through high school was you know the huge you know the huge boom and grunge yeah. until it effectively died in '94. Um, you know, between the combination death of Chris uh, of Kurt Cobain and and the establishment of Candlebox, yeah, right, yeah. So it was so there was that, and then I was like off to. Shortly after that, I was off to college, and you know, still more punk. A lot of like so, so then, then got it started getting like SoCal, mm-hmm. SoCal punk. So you know, bands like you know, like The Offspring and NoFX and Pennywise, uh-huh. and you know, so the uh, rise of the mid late nineties. Yeah, so like that, so like that scene is really into snowboarding, and so there was a big you know synchronization between that. Like yeah. like the snowboard vids all had you know all all. Had, that music, good riddance, and all everything on like the Fat Records label and the Epitaph labels. Well, I was talking um, to my buddy Jeff the other day. We were talking about the first Tony Hawk Pro Skater 
yeah, that came out. On Nintendo 64. On oh, 64 it was, it was PlayStation, Xbox. I think. Yeah. So, but when it came out, that was probably one of the best soundtracks yeah. and like collaborations of the sickest artists yeah. in that time. Yeah. Right? It like, was just, it was cool because like, you know, it, and not that there wasn't like, um, you know, there there'd always been, um, I'll call them extreme sports videos, right? And yeah. but this, it was so, it was so changing in, in the 90s, right? That stuff yeah. was just evolving and, you know, whether it was a lot of like the snowboard videos, this, I don't think the, the skate videos to an extent, but there were there were so many more skate videos. It was mm-hmm. hard. To, it was hard, but the snowboard was a seasonal thing, and you had, um, you know, just like certain. There was not that many producers out there making really high quality stuff. Yeah. Um, but like those the, those relationships of the music with the with the snowboarding was just was just really cool to kind of like see and explore, and like all of a sudden like figure out like all like these new bands. Yeah. Um, Did you ever watch Endless Summer, the surfing video from like the sixties? No. You never no. saw that. I might have seen like parts of it, but like I, I don't know. It doesn't have a lasting impression on me. What's so funny to look at active sports, right, mm-hmm. or action sports, and look at how these guys did the original. You know, Endless Summer, which was all surfing. It was yeah. chasing the Endless Summer around yeah. the planet, right? Yeah. So they shot everything in film. They spliced the film yeah. together. They did the the voiceovers. They added the music. Yeah. And then you go into further and further along and, and down the line, snowboarding videos. Yeah. And just how much the entire world of videography has changed from, like, splicing film and and adding music and voiceovers to like where you're talking and it was it was such an organic movement Mm -hmm. with the punk and with everything going on and the uh and the well not only that but the evolution of the technology the advent of the digital camera yeah like i mean just just cool shit and now it's like they can film shit with drones uh, (laughs) i mean like get these crazy crazy angles like i remember you know, you first started seeing some of that stuff, and you get some of those helicopter. Obviously, Alaska it was easier to get the helicopter shots, but they were doing helicopter shots like that. Drop I remember in. that in transition to like snowboard parks, like they were flying a bird over a snowboard park and like getting like these really cool angles. And now like they can do all that stuff anytime they want. Well, you can with program a drone. a drone to fly three feet over your head, yeah. right behind you. Yeah, or, you know what I mean. Yeah, and no, it's not. It's it's cool. I mean, like that element of like technology and like I mean like so many opportunities like, yeah. to get into that shit and like how to you know I was into I was into photo- I mean still into photography but like that was my gig like I just I wanted to get into like photography more uh-huh. were um, you shooting thir- so you were shooting 35 I was shooting 35 millimeter. what kind of camera are you using I had a Canon EOS Elan 2E mm-hmm. um, with a couple of different Sigma I had, like a, I had a short Canon lens and a Sigma yeah um, lids but oh man I shot I shot so much and then I was like I'd take that and like I'd run down to we had Kit's camera, and I'd get my development done there, and then I'd get on it. And was in Seattle, then I'd go to Glazer's. Glazer's was like a um, really high-end camera shop in yeah. in Seattle, and they also did development. And so I would, you know, I'd go there, and it was always like this magical mystery of like proof sheets. Here's my, you know, here's I'm like, you know, I'm bringing in like 10, 10 rolls. I'm like, what am I gonna get? Like, you have no fucking clue. And now it's just like. Did no, you I don't like that, you know, like you took like 10, you took like, you know, a hundred shots, you're like, delete, 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 you know, and it's just like, it's, 
that was fun like that show and tell of like like what's in the box yeah what's proof sheet yeah you know did you ever like i mean i was pulling out like i, I remember that because the glazers you would go in and they would literally have the the light tables and like you'd sit there and, like, you'd, you know with the mag the, uh with the the half dome. or whatever yeah. whatever I, whatever that would call, and you're still was it, is i it, still was have mine was it a loop i don't remember what it's called but i still have mine where yeah. i go over each and look at you know the exploded three yeah. and a half inch yeah. bubble yeah. of the photo. <laughs> yeah, that shit was like, man, that was, that was fun. It was yeah. good times. I used to run around with a FM2 and a, and a FM1 something from Nikon back mm -hmm. in the day. They were my uncle's cameras prior to that. Yeah. So I had excellent cameras for the time and I'd like, when I would get my proof sheet back, was the most exciting thing because like you would do a double exposure and you don't know how it came out oh, until you actually yeah. developed the film. I was doing, I would go to, I would go to, so it was in Seattle. I go to this place called Cary Park and it's the, it's this iconic view of Seattle. You've probably seen the image before. It's, you know, the Space Needle and the downtown. It's a shot from the north. I would go down there and take like, and I would like double, like go out like on full moon nights and like I'd take a picture of the moon on you know one and not cycle, not cycle the film, and then I'd do a double exposure and like I you know put it right over the background of the mm -hmm. of the space. And you know, like I fucked around for that forever. Like, I mean, right. That was, and that was just like that was that shit was so much fun. I'm like okay, and like I'm like looking at my viewfinder. I'm like okay, <laughs> if I do the moon here, then it won't like interfere with the with the actual space needle. And like I, you know, you're just you're yes. just eyeballing. Well, you're guessing like, everything. Yeah, you're. It's all a guess. And like, it's all a guess. Your exposure, like, like I've got to, I've got to figure out and go through like my exposure on the moon first. Use the and hand then I, pump. And then I got to come yeah. back. And then I got to come back and then do my exposure. And like, you know, you get these shots. And like, the needle looks awesome, but the moon's fucking bleached. And then like, the moon's great, but the needles, yeah, you know, the needle's too dark. And like, oh my god, that shit was. <laughs> That's so much fun to talk about. No, that. I had honestly had no idea what I was doing. Like, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was, it was literally just all like guesswork. And that's, but that's, that's just do like fun. a 30 second exposure, 45 second yeah. exposure in yeah. a minute. Yeah. And I knew that, and I knew that, like, you know, if you want to do stars or moon and you don't want it to streak, like, it needs to be under a half second. Yeah. Like, you can't, but the moon's bright. So you can, you can capture that light pretty quickly. You won't get anything else. But man, that shit was. So back yeah. to growing up in Seattle and when the grunge scene started, what was that like for you being in Seattle, if you were still in Seattle, when Kurt Cobain committed suicide or when, when all that whole story broke? And I'm only asking because I just watched Netflix has a documentary about, it's called like Died Too Young or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And one of the episodes was all about Kurt Cobain. I mean, I I remember it distinctly. I remember hearing it over the news. I remember hearing it over the news. I was at school and like just being like kind of like shocked because he was huge for yeah. that whole. Oh, movie. it was massive. Like, it was well, and so it was crazy because I took this um, in. This was years later, and so it, it really kind of put things into respect to me. I was I was at Fairfield University in Connecticut, and I was going through and I was getting my degree, and there was a class for an elective. It was called History of Rock. Mm -hmm. 
and it was it's basically what it was. You went through the history of rock and roll, like how how did rock and roll come about? And so you go through like all like these cycles and these iterations, like what was it like, and you know, and, and started the early development in like the twenties and stuff. And you got uh, was it was it was it Robert John Robert Johnson was the uh, famous Delta Blues uh-huh. guy, right? Barely any recordings out of him, like just because it was too early for actually recording this music and just these whole evolutions and. It was cool because, like, the professor, um, he was a musician, really, really well-versed in everything from, um, you know, all throughout the, the various genres of rock and roll, boogie rhythm and blues, etc. And we talked about the the revolution of, um, you know, of rock and roll in the 60s, right? Elvis and, you know, this all of a sudden, like, things really start to develop well, for rock Vietnam and roll. Vietnam era the right shame. there. Yeah, from... so you've got... You've got um, you've got a lot of societal issues um, going on and people are kind of coming out of this McCarthy era, right? And, and, you know, being extremely rebellious and from, from there. And then you go into like the seventies and dealing with, and talking about like Led Zeppelin, like Led Zeppelin uh, in the seventies, like at their peak was 10% of Atlantic, Re- of Atlantic records sales. No way. 10%. I mean, That's you think of a huge. band, like they, they probably had cl- at least close to a thousand. Like, I don't know that number, but yeah. you think of any one band, the total album sales being 10%. That is, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so what one of the, in a roundabout way, one of the, the concepts was that somebody says, well, what's what do you think's like been like the biggest like revolution change since, um, you know, since like the the sixties, and that were we ever going to have some of that? He goes, because I think probably the closest—it's not identical, but the closest thing we've had to it was grunge, where you really had a um, you know a, a musical preference coming out of like the eighties and and rock and and hair bands and hair metal and heavy metal, and you've never really had like this disruption of like this effectively new sound. Um, you know, it's got elements of punk, but it did have elements of metal and had elements of, of other things to it. Like it was just, it was really kind of you know, these big groundbreaking like sounds that distortion that, yeah, a lot of distortion like came, came out of this. And it was just, it was, it was cool. So it was cool. But so when I heard that, I was like, man, it really kind of brought everything home to me. Cause like I was living the experience as a, as a young teenager and not really grasping it, but like, this is this you know this is me i like this music you know i like the way it, you know it makes me feel makes me think etc and then you go for this change of um i don't know to describe it but like you know all of a sudden like cobain dies and you have like this monumental um like change there was another there was another event that was pretty drastic for the seattle community not a lot of people know about but um there was a there was a band called the gits uh, was led by um, it was a male band with a female lead singer named Mia Zapata, and she was murdered, and uh, raped and murdered, and st- uh, in July of two thousand or no, July of nineteen ninety three. Oh God! And she was an enigma. Like if you like if if you like punk music, like listening to Mia and the Gets, there's like, a couple killer songs, you know, Second Skin and, and Another Shot of Whiskey are just like amazing songs. But um, that was like it was like this crazy element of like here's this major music scene she was well known within the Seattle music scene but she wasn't at the level of you know the Soundgarden's Nirvana's Pearl Jams etc but it really on kinda, her way though on, on their way yeah. on their way and I think it really kind of shook up um, the music scene a little bit and then obviously with you know Cobain you know committing suicide it was just like it was catastrophic so it was 
it was just kind of a crazy, crazy time to go through. I mean, here I am, you know, six, <laughs> was I 1694? I don't know, I can't do math too well. Was, uh, yeah, 16, yeah. you know, working, working on, or no, 17, working on 18, like trying to figure out like what the hell's going on in the world. Yeah. Still taking, still trying to figure out what's going on in the world at 42. But, right. You know. Me too, man. That's been like the last six months of my life trying to figure out where's my place in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta enjoy the ride and like you know, and hang some, on. Some things will come clearer later. Like you'll have a life of like I said, like history of rock class like, really brought that back. Like, that sounds like such an amazing like, course to take. Like, like that sounds like oh, something cool. that I'd want to just yeah. go now. Yeah. That I'm more knowledgeable and receptive. Yeah. You know, because like, like when I was young, like. I was so just narrow-minded to like whatever genre music I was into. Yeah. I couldn't have respect for anything else. And yeah. Total chaos and anarchy, and yeah. that's just what it is, yeah. you know. And like now, I'd love to go back and be able to look at everything, and then, you know, like what you were saying, you you guys went all the way back to the twenties, right? Yeah. Or like you, for me, one of my biggest things is like, dude, sixty-five to seventy, that the music revolution that happened in that time period. Yeah. Is insanity. Yeah. Like, yeah. The uh, you're going from like you know you you've got you've got Elvis and you've got some U.S. producers and then the Beatles come along mm -hmm. and just like really just kind of like take hold. shake everything yeah. up and you know of course there's, there's great irony it's like these you know these clean cut white guys from Britain yeah right but you know but they obviously had an incredible journey along their way because you know they got into heavy into drugs and LSD and all and that whole evolution that happened during that yeah. time period. Freaking wild, right? Well, I mean, yeah. and, and there you know, LSD throughout that entire yeah part, you know, it's like, dude, I can imagine that half the crowd at a at a Hendrix concert was not on copious amounts of LSD. Yeah. Well, did you hear this? There was a story recently. There's like a um, I don't, it was like an electronic synthesizer, like an organ producer in in Oregon that were not an organ, um, but. Um, in Berkeley or, or Oakland that these guys were well known for making these instruments and like they were like huge parts for like the dead like the dead was using was using like their organs and I, like I said I'm, I'm totally butchering this long story short there was there was rumors that like the keyboards or whatever these electronic boards were were soaked in, a, in LSD no way. And there was a, I guess, like some guy was like trying to like refurbish it or whatever, and then all of a sudden started to hallucinate, and they tested it, and indeed there literally there was LSD. It was still effective, for fifty years later or whatever. God, yeah, sixty years later, Look, still still active like that many years later. But like, like you gotta how wonder like wild is if that, they're man? playing that yeah. stuff and just going deeper oh, and deeper like, and like, deeper into yeah. just who knows, man? Yeah. They don't. They probably don't even know, yeah. right? They Look, did you hear the story? And it, we're so far off of any proper <laughs> subject, but whatever. Did you hear the story a couple years back about the college scientist that disappeared, and they ended up finding him in his basement and behind a hidden wall, like twenty years later. And I'm probably butchering this story. With 55-gallon drums of LSD that he had made, and he'd been living in his basement, even though new people had bought the house and, like, the whole deal, he just disappeared. And he'd been living in a hidden room in, a, in the basement of his house, 
surviving off LSD and whatever food and, you know, whatever else he had. But, like, bananas, <laughs> dude. Bananas. That's crazy. How do you... I don't know. I don't know about that. I, that I, it's I, but it's serious. It's yeah. a serious news story, dude. Like, That's crazy. Um, like, what do you do for food? I don't know. I don't know. You just I get questions like Laura and that. Like, how do you get for food? What do you? How did he buy stuff? Like, where did? How many years was he there? Right. You know. So. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> JR. Rock and roll on LSD. Sweet. Yeah. How you doing, man? How's well. your day going today? I'm, I'm well. I, so far, so good, man. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us where you're from and uh, let's dive like into the you. the whole story? I mean, like, you know, let's talk about your hunting story. Um, so I, I, I grew, up in, grew up in Washington. Um, my... Uh, you know, my, my dad was, you know, got into hunting and fishing through my dad. Um, and so spent, spent a lot of years growing up. We had a cabin in central Washington near Ellensburg and, um, you know, grew up hunting that area, um, fishing, fishing in the Puget Sound, crabbing, that, that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, just super enjoyed it, right? Like any kid would, right? And then, uh, well, I don't know, maybe some kids don't, but uh enjoyed it and then you know got older high school high school sports you know you start to spend a little bit less time doing it uh you know fortunately there was like a late late cow muzzleloader elk hunt that i could do every year that didn't conflict with football um you know school comes and go or, you know high school comes and goes i, I go off to college not really off to college i just went to the university of washington um, spent some time there, met my now wife who lived in Connecticut and in 2000 moved over, moved to Connecticut, lived there for a few years, um, and then moved back here in, in 2003 and started my job in the corporate accounting world. Um, and then didn't hunt. Like I hunted a couple times. Like I went back to Washington a couple times, like to hunt with my dad, but like just, you know, life was moving pretty fast. I yeah. was living on the East coast and you know, living on the East Coast and moved back to the West Coast and kind of doing these things. And just there was a there was a period in there where just like I, di I didn't really hunt or, or fish much at all. Um, just because, you know, like I said, just life was happening and moving pretty quick. And then uh, and it was in 2006. My wife, uh, my wife said she had some patients that came in and uh, like we had just like she had just read like the omnivores dilemma. And she's like, she's like, you need to go hunting again. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go hunting. Like I hear like there's, you know, was, we were in California and we'd been here a couple of years. I'm like, I hear like there's pig hunting here. Like I'd like to do that. Like that sounds like really fun. And so she, you know, she had these, she had these patients and they said, well, yeah, we can get you connected on, on for a pig hunt. And so um, I ended up doing that. I just ended up going out on a pig hunt. And it was like, you know, during this like just time span of um, go out on, on a pig hunt and my wife she'll now joke she's like you know the accounting world was was killing you right i mean you're working 80 90 hours a week sometimes months on end and she's like you were just you were just kind of gray in the face and you looked like you were dying like a premature death right losing the yeah just you know losing a little bit of like your lust for life and i'm trying to you know establish my career and get going and then trapped uh, in the wormhole yeah going mean, to an extent yeah and then so I, I i went hunting shot a pig and it was just like it's like this like flood of memories like and experiences and it's like 
holy shit, this is what I need to be doing again. Like I, I need to be doing this. And in that time where I wasn't hunting, I was doing a lot of like exploration of like food. I was working in restaurants and like working under different, and you know, I was front of house, but understand like working with like different chefs and like starting to get into wine a little bit and like, you know, expanding my palate there. And then all of a sudden, like I go hunting, I kill this boar and I've got this boar to cook at home. And I'm like, you know, now like this perfect, like, you know, head on collision of like, my curiosity with food back with my like my upbringing of hunting and fishing and all the stuff that i'd done and it just it just kind of came to a head it's just like it was just like yeah like i'm i'm back in this like it was you know you know so kind of i'm a i'm kind of an early story of the r3 story right i was yeah. i was reactivated right i mean life life just happened. me too man I, i'm right? on the, i'm on the same boat as far yeah. as like i took a a prolonged break from hunting from like 17 until I was like 21 yeah 22 yeah you know and 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 I didn't get back into it until later in life yeah yeah so like that was and it's for, and then from there it's just been you know every every year figuring out more hunts to go on where to go fishing I've gotten into waterfowling a little bit I'm still not much of a waterfowler yeah. um you know but I just waterfowl I have a really hard time being passionate about yeah, I love I love everybody's passion for waterfowl hunting, mm-hmm. and it's totally exciting. And I've been on a few duck hunts, and I've killed my fair share of birds. But I just find it really difficult to find that like I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to go get in the sweat lines and I'm going to go do this and I'm going to become a member of yeah. a club and all of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up big game hunting. So, I mean, it was in, you know, the only birds we killed were, oppor- you know, we killed opportunistic grouse growing up. But, like, I, I just did did know waterfowl hunting. And so I've, I'm a... Upland bird. You know, or, or upland. upland. Um, and so I'm big game still and probably always will be my gig. Um, I love waterfowl now that we can do it here, like in California. I think, well, I mean, like good, we would have had good access in Washington, but here we've got great access. Um, so it's a type of deal for me. Like I'm happy to pay a, a guide or an outfitter, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the couple times a year that I'm going to go do it. Like just, you know, get out and, and try and learn as much as I can. Eventually I, I, I definitely do want to do the sweat line thing and get out and go on my own because it's, it's kind of a core thing is like, I like, ch- you know, it's, it's a challenge to yourself, but it's also just like a, just go out and make mistakes and laugh at yourself because yeah. that's that's part of it of like you know in this adventure you know a, along the way i think it's a core reason of why we hunt of these you know these situations that you end up getting into where you're just like how the hell did i get here and like mm-hmm. and <laughs> fortunately i've never been in that situation like holy shit how am i ever going to get out of this but it's always just been like this comical like a- adventure along the way and that's you know, I, that drives me a lot of like, what, you know, what, what's going to be the story this year, every hunting season, you know, you start to, I'm like, what's going to be the story this year? What are we going to do this year? Where are we going to end up? Who am I going to be with? Who am I going to meet in random places? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, about out in the middle of the wilderness. And that's, that's part of the awesomeness of hunting. It's such a cool community of the places that you go, the people that you see, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's good stuff. What's your most random encounter of meeting somebody in the back country or out hunting that knew other people that you know? And somehow you guys made, you connected the dots through conversation on the mountain. Knew other. Have you ever had that? Not in the back country. Okay. Um, not in the back country, but like it was a kind of a, um, that, yeah, never, well, 
Maybe, maybe not. It's kind of a parallel. So, um, 2013. No, 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 no. Take that back. Like 2009, I met I met the Tri Valley Elk Foundation banquet dinner in Livermore at Blackhawk Country Club. It's a uh, nice place. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the Elk Foundation they do that dinner out there every year, every April. Um, so had been going to that dinner for for a while, and maybe it was. Maybe it was 2009, maybe 2010. It doesn't really matter. But so we're there and we're sitting at this table and there's, you know, it, it's me and my, my, my wife's to my right and then another woman to her right and then, a, and then her husband, you know, further to the right. You know, it's the big rounds table and it's getting loud and it's tough to talk. And, and my wife was telling the woman next to her, it's like, yeah, you know, JR, um, you know, he grew up hunting in, in Washington. And so the woman was like, oh, Kirk grew up hunting in Washington. And, you know, so then all of a sudden, like, the, the two guys that are probably not really talking much at the table, right? Because the women are chatty, chatty, right? So we're like, oh, where, where are you at? He goes, he goes, oh, near Ellensburg. I'm like, where near Ellensburg? And he's, and, uh, it, and, uh, he's like, well, we used to hunt, we used to hunt GMU 328. I'm like, where in GMU 328? <laughs> and he's like, he goes, do you know it? I, I said, I, I said, I grew up hunting everything from the Wilson to the Nanum to Neely Creek off, off, you know, road 3507. He's like, we used to camp off road 3507. Like, I'm like, I'm like, when were you, when were you there? And he's like, oh, you know, all throughout the, you know, late eighties and early nineties. I'm like, do you guys remember, do you ever remember that black scout that was up there? And he's like, oh my God, I totally remember that scout that used to be parked there right at the, and it was like, we literally hunted the, I mean, cause the seasons were relatively short in Washington, the same area at the same time, like growing up. And here we are at an Elk Foundation dinner. 20 years later. 20 years, 20 years later in Livermore, California. How crazy is that? That's crazy. I still keep talking. I was texting the guy today. Like we were trying to like get something like coordinated because he's got, he goes out to Briones and does uh, archery shoots out there. And I guess I got archery shoots on Mondays. I'm like, I want to come out there for one, a Monday night, do a Monday night shoot. Yeah. But it's just, it was one of those like crazy experiences. See, I knew there was Just circle back. And then, oh, so my other one. Oh, there's another. Why not? Yeah. Much more modern. So, um, I've, Randy Newberg has his hunt talk forums. Right, um, you know, and, and I've been pretty active on there, and I've I've gotten to know Randy over the years, and went on a bison hunt with him last year, and uh, so anyway, I'm um, I'm on these forums, and this guy like posts up, he's like, yeah, you know, I I you know, it's like you know, antelope hunting in New Mexico, got to bring one of my old fishing buddies, fishing buddies out, who's who's been a, you know, diehard steelheader angler all his life. And he's just now getting into hunting, and these were like his first kills. And all of a sudden, like I'm scrolling through the pictures, and I'm like, "Holy shit, that's Tony!" Right? Guy I know from high school, like you know, went went to high school with. And all of a sudden, so I you know send the guy a message. I said, "How do you know Tony?" He goes, "Well, Tony and I used to guide together in Alaska." And so here's a guy I know cyberly, right? Yeah. Um, you know, exchanged a, a, you know a few private messages or whatever. And I'm like, that's crazy. And and sure enough, he's friends with, you know, he he guided with with a, um, you know, a, a dude I knew from high school. And now it's like all for fishing of, or something. For yeah, they were they were Alaskan guides for fishing. And yeah. So he got he got into hunting later, but um, he's still into hunting now. But like all of a sudden, like this like full circle deal of, you know, a guy I haven't seen or heard of in you know 15 years or whatever. Now like you know we we know each other and since then we've been like put back in contact. I'm like this is awesome. You're getting into hunting, super cool. Like yeah, um, and 
you know, we chat every now and then. Now he's gotten to know like a couple other, couple other of my friends around. So it's just been, it's, it's crazy like how like small and connected this world really can be, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is just super cool. It like, gets so much smaller in the hunting community too. It does. I mean, it's, you know, any, any world you live in is, can really kind of be a small community if you start to like branch out and really try and meet some people. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just kind of get to know people and like, where are they from? What are they doing? What are they into? Especially like, like the hunting community like you, you can be into you know hardcore trad circles or whatever or you can be you know a guy that likes to hunt it all or whatever it's just everybody's got cool stories where, mm-hmm. they, where they've been where they go what are they really like into um you know like species they just totally like geek out on the hunt and will like will pass up on other on other animals or opportunities just because they're, you know, they're super into desert mule deer or something like that. Right? Yeah. You know, it's just... Well, I mean, you can even apply that to guys in California that <clears throat> it'll probably be happening less now, but where guys in California will be like, oh, I'm hunting deer. I'll never shoot that bear. That's totally like, I could totally shoot that bear right now. And yeah. I have a bear tag in my pocket. Yeah. But I don't want to blow this area out for deer. So I'm just going to go for my deer. Yeah. But I feel like that might be changing soon. Well, the best, well, and the you know, is the the joke. The best way to ruin a hunt of X is to shoot Y, right? Yeah. You know, if you're after if you're after X, like you know, don't don't shoot anything else. Like, yeah. I had a moose tag in Idaho a couple of years ago, um, in a shitty shitty unit that didn't have hardly any moose. Um, but my brother and a buddy, my dad were there and they all had, they all had elk and deer tags and I spotted an elk. I'm like, dude, let's go, let's go after them. I'm like, dude, are you nuts? Like you have a, you know, you have a basically a once in a lifetime moose tag and you want to go shoot an, you want to go shoot an elk for me? I'm like, yeah, like you've never shot an elk. They're like, you've never shot a moose. I'm like, Okay. But there's no moose I kinda, here. I, I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, we're not seeing moose. We're seeing elk, you know. But then we ended up not going after it because it was, you know, it was like we had to drop down like a thousand feet of vertical to go get it. Oh wow. Yeah, it was. It would. It had we gone down there and got it, it wasn't going to be. It so wasn't going to be pretty getting out. You've hunted all over the place. Because mm-hmm. I know you've gotten a caribou. Yeah, so I've hunted. I've hunted Alaska, British Columbia, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Nebraska. Um, Arizona tagged along on a Utah hunt. I don't know if that counts. Yeah, Wyoming. Wyoming. I get Wyoming in there. California, obviously, still holding out to hopefully draw, a, you know, Nevada tag somewhere or New Mexico tag. Tagged along on a buddy. With How many it. points do you have in Nevada? Um, I think for all species, I think I'm like nine or ten across the board. Yeah, it was really so like I, you know, kind of it was like that. 2006, I went on that hunt and then really started to investigate stuff and it was about like the 2000 2008 to 2010 time frame like i'm like oh i started to really understand that i started to look into the point game more and so like that's when i started putting in and then within like two years like all of a sudden i was putting in all across the west yeah and so so i'm about i'm anywhere from from eight to like i think like seven to Seven to ten points. Do you do it all yourself, state. or do you have a company that does? I it do it all myself. Yeah, because yeah. well, I know there's companies that offer the. Yeah, no, I've. Um, I'm an accountant by trade, so I'm good with numbers and statistics, and I try and spot trends, and I think that's given me given me a little bit of an of advantage. Um, you know, to to looking around. There's also you know, there's a lot of times like I'll put in for stuff, and I'm like, okay, well. 
if I know I'm going on this hunt, like this, like this year's a good example. I'm bringing five guys, uh, five other guys up to Montana this year to go elk hunting. Really? Yeah. Is it the general or a draw? Just a general. Okay. So yeah, well, which is a draw, which yeah. is a draw now. Now, now but, it's like, a draw. Wait, let's talk about that because it wasn't that way last year or like. Last year was the first year it tipped over. Oh, really? But, yeah. So I remember growing up, everybody putting in for Montana. Yep. And some years not get it. was like an every other year tag in the yeah. 90s. Yeah. Right? And then somewhere in the 2000s. So they added Initiative 161. And it was Initiative 161 that passed in 2010, I think. If I, my, and what it did was raise the fees. Um, ra- raise the fees for deer for deer combo, elk combo, and big game combo, which big game is both, and raise the fees um, for that, and then they expanded opportunities for non-residents. I think I think they increased the total pool. Okay. I don't think they're because it's up to up to ten percent of Montana to non-residents for tags, um, and they expanded the pool because there's eighteen thousand big game combo tags. Uh, now and then there's like come home to hunt and college tags and there's a shitload of there was a ton of tags but if you lived in Montana or have a family member in Montana yeah you're you know, doing pretty yeah, well yeah you can um, and so they they did that that was like in 2010 but at that time the economy was struggling so they increased the fees and so the demand just wasn't there yeah and then slowly over over the years 11 12 13 14 15 those big game combos the amount left over after the initial draw for that general for you know kind of for the general tag were were decreasing and you were seeing it over and over again and then i think it was it was it 15 or 16 that guy hit that world record archery bull mm-hmm. and like and, you know and you have guys like randy newberg's like come to montana to hunt you've got 11 weeks to hunt yeah. archery is awesome because mostly most of the elk are typically up high on public land you know, rifle season gets a little bit different, but you've got a huge window to hunt. Yeah. If you get a big game combo, you can hunt the you can hunt the mule deer rut with a rifle. In certain units, you can hunt elk with a rifle. Well, and that's what I love about and, Montana and, is yeah. that deer rut. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then that and then that uh, like I said, his name is Steve. He hits that. There's this demand is increasing, increasing, and then this guy shoots a world record archery bull, and then. It was the next year after that they sold out, okay. and so they were they were into a demand. This year, what I did, I did, I did with my buddies just the elk only combo because the deer combo makes it more restrictive because there's not as many deer tags. Um, and we, it was weird. So there were six of us. We didn't apply as a party because the party limit was five, and so I just I'm like, hey guys, let's just all do it individually, which was actually a, a bad choice. In in hindsight, we should have done three and three in party, but. Um, three of us drew on the first pass for the elk combo. Three of us drew on the second pass, which a second pass is basically guy applies for an elk tag. If he gets the elk tag, then they ask if he wants a permit, special permit unit, you know, they're in their glory units. If they don't get the permit, then they return the tag. Their tag goes back into a second pool of the draw. Yeah. Three, of, three of our guys got it from people just refunding it because they wanted to hunt a particular unit. So we whatever. always used to wait until... They changed it, but uh-huh. was it August? The first Wednesday in August, they used to release all the return tags. Yeah. yeah. So every year, mm-hmm. between August and the opening of rifle season was when mm-hmm. we would, or when I would get my tags. Yeah. Because that was just like, all right, I can wait until after the draws are done and I don't have to worry about anything else. And I can kind of be like, 
all right, I can put 10 days in Montana or I can't put 10 days yep. in Montana. But now it's like, I just now now you, gotta, you just got to put in and help you get it. Yeah, you got to go in on March March fifteenth. Your odds are still pretty good, but I mean it's it's getting more restrictive. There's a lot of yeah, people next going to year Montana. It'll be worse. It, it I it probably will. Um, well, because like twenty fourteen, so twenty fourteen, my um, I didn't have I didn't have any hunts planned or I can't remember what what the hell was going on, but my buddy RJ, um, I was supposed to go on a pig hunt with him and. It was like he he lost the he lost a lease on the property that he was leasing for pig hunting, like some, you know, eccentric LA billionaire that owned, you know, ungodly amounts of acres, <laughs> you know, in, in prime pig country it was just like, you know, total nut job, probably. I, I can only assume, right? I don't yeah. wanna, I don't wanna, you know, paint with too big of a brush. But anyway, so I I call I'm like, Hey, like what about that you know, let's do this pig hunt and he goes, Well, I was gonna tell you I I lost the the, the lease. Okay, whatever. I'm like, that sucks. Like, I mean, I feel bad for you. This is part of your business, right? It sucks you lose access to property. And then, like, this was, this was like mid October. And like, I'm sitting there. Like, I call him back like an hour later. I go, hey, I'm like, do you want to go to Montana hunt deer and elk? <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I go, well, I said, I'm not doing anything now. Like, you know, and you're not doing anything. Like you're, you're not, you're not up on waterfowl yet. And when waterfowl season started to kick off, like, do you want to go to Montana hunt deer and elk? We can fly up there. Like I got, I got a buddy pass on Alaska. So we'll split the total cost and we'll go up for a few days. And I think I got a spot where we can go, go kill an elk. Do you want to go? He goes, yeah. And so October 15th or something, mid October, something like that. Right. Yeah. Literally bought tags, <laughs> bought tags, went up to Montana um, and we were in a, u- a unit that was brow tine bull or, or antlerless. Uh, we're, we know we we're hunting one unit, and then he's for a couple of days, and then he's like, "Man, he's like, I just, I, he's like, I just kill anything if I could see it. Like, I, he's like, I, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, I shoot a total raghorn. I go, do you shoot a cow? He goes, yeah. I go, well, we can drive an hour, two hours to this unit that I've hunted before. We can go shoot cows. He goes, let's do it next morning. Yeah, we drove over there. Like we were, st- it was such cool. Like we were stalking through um, super tight lodgepole. And there was tracks all over, and and like these elk, it was probably heard of about ten cows, just like stealth. It's amazing, like how elk, quiet elk they are can be. Them. Elk can be the mo- the quietest or the loudest animal you've ever heard in the forest, right? And they just walked in right to us, and he shot a cow, and it was super cool. But that was that was it, like mid October. Shit, let's go to Montana. Let's go elk hunting. Yeah. So now it's. Not like that anymore. No, it's different. It was great, though. I mean, I I yeah. love... Montana is one of my favorite places to hunt on the planet. It's, yeah. Everything about it is 100% beautiful, mm-hmm. you know? And just crazy, varied terrain if you want it. I mean, you've got thick, wet, dense forests in the northwest to... Um, you know, sagebrush and piney country down in the southeast to you know to the to the breaks country in the northeast and kind of everything in between. I haven't hunted the breaks yet, but I want to hunt. Breaks, the breaks is breaks is on my bucket list. Like that's just a hunt that I've got to do. And and what I should be doing in Montana is putting in for putting in for the permit. That's a special unit permit and go go do that breaks hunt or find a buddy. Like I got buddies all over that like if they draw cool tags, I'm like, can I come? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I just want to go. Like I just yeah. want to go on this experience. Like yeah. I want to, I want to go like, I may never draw this tag or this unit or whatever, but well, like I'm more than happy to tag along without 
and just enjoy the moment. Enjoy How the much hunt. fun is it to go along with somebody else on their hunt and you don't have to worry about anything other than helping them be successful in filling their tag? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just as fun of the hunt. And we, we as hunters, we always talk, you know, and when people like bag on hunting or whatever, I go, oh, it's not about the kill. It's not about the kill. I'm like, this is how it's not about the kill. Like, I just want to go on the experience. I want to be in a, in a new place that I probably don't know jack shit about. And it may never be in again. And I may never be in again. And, and just, I want to go on that experience and, and go along for the ride. Cause it's just, it's fun. Like yeah. it's, it's so cool. And that's, you know, one of the coolest things about the adventures of, of hunting is where do you go? Like, and you know, where, where do you go? What do you get to see? Who, do you, who do you meet and who do you meet along the way? Like crazy characters, right? Like, you know, you talk about Montana, like, and I, this is probably, this is true anywhere, I'm sure. But I'm like, a, a, for like a sociological, like, like experiment, I think everybody should go to a remote watering hole in a big time hunting state, right? In, you know, the night before the opener, whether it's elk or deer or whatever, when, you know, like that, that one local, like remote bar or whatever, it's like the only place for miles is filled with hunters. Yeah. And just, just sit there, grab a drink and just, just listen and observe. Like it's, I've oh, yeah. done it many times and like in strange places and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a hoot, man. It's fun for me because my family's got history in Montana. They've yeah. been around there for a while. So I'll go to the local the local bar or the local area, you know, go get food. Yeah. During hunting season or whenever. Yeah. You know, whenever I'm up there and, and everybody, yeah, you know, knows somebody in my family and getting to talk to them about their experiences hunting and yeah. everybody is just always, in Montana specifically, has always been so warm so welcoming you know it's uh it's pretty neat man that's cool we we did uh i my dad my brother and i went to wyoming for an, a pronghorn hunt a couple years ago and we were in we were in laramie so it wasn't remote i mean laramie's a, a decent sized town college town and we're in there and, and our waitress she said her dad she's like my dad drew the super tag trifecta so he has bighorn sheep Moose and mountain goat tag. That just came out today. I feel like did it the Wyoming there, super tag. There's a uh, I don't know if the super tag, but there's been a lot of those commissioner tags. There's a lot mm -hmm. of commissioner type tags in Washington in Wyoming, and they go out different nonprofits get them. But the super tag is you know I think that's the one that just came up to put in for. And like, and I'm like, I was like, whoa, like that's crazy. And she's like, yeah, she's like he's. She's like, he's really struggling with it. It's like a, it's just like, she goes, he kind of feels cursed. Because mm -hmm. you think of like these amazing once in a lifetime species, you know, a moose, a, especially a bighorn sheep, right? It's probably the hardest of all of those. And mountain goat, probably number two and moose three. But like to try and get these all in one year. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Like and that's like crazy. There you go. Yeah. And I was like, take, talk, talking to, to her it. and she's just like, yeah, I go, well, I'm my guy. So I don't know your dad, but I mean. You know, tell them that, tell them just enjoy the ride, like, enjoy that ride. I'm sure probably everybody's told them that or whatever, yeah. but like, like, how freaking crazy is that? Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, it's just, that's just part of the, I mean, the fun of, you know, why I've gotten to, to, I've tried to take advantage of getting wherever I can to hunt mm -hmm. and to plan. And I think, 
I was off on a tangent, but I think I originally started with this. Like, so like this year when I was putting in for tags, like I put in for really long trophy odds because I was taking, I'm taking five of my buddies to Montana this year. Yeah. Um, Are any of them new to hunting? Yes. How many? Two. Really? Yep. Isn't that so, so much? No, three. Three guys. So I'm going to try to think. Mike's hunted like about a year. What, what week are you guys going? So three, actually three of the guys are relatively new hunters. Um, two guys are pretty much brand new and one guy is relatively new. And then the, the three of the other guys are um, have hunted before. One guy's only hunted elk once. The other guy's never hunted elk. So it's, it's a lot of new experiences. Right? So last year I took a guy up for his first time, first hunt of his life. And we got on it. We got him on a buck the first eight hours of his first hunt and you know we shot it at 310 yards drilled it in the neck like amazing experience the look on his face after he pulled the trigger and he's like i just shot a buck i didn't even know i could do that like montana again man montana is such a great state yeah um yeah so it'll be it'll be fun I, you know, I'm, I'd, I'd be lying if I wasn't, like, you know, slightly, I don't say nervous, but, like, what the hell did I get myself into? When are you guys going? Uh, we So, we all have young kids. Oh. And so, what sucks is that... Thanksgiving. Um, this doesn't suck. This doesn't, this doesn't suck. This isn't a sucky part of it. But, like, uh, we all have young kids. The season opens Saturday, the, October 25th, I think. 24th, 25th, something like that. And then we have um, Halloween. So all of our, we've all got kids at the same elementary school together. The season so, this year opens a week late. It's it's a week late because of yeah. So the cycle. So that's so that's what's weird on our timing. Where if, whereas if it opened the twentieth, we could go and come back. But anyway, so we can't, we're gonna miss that first week because of Halloween. Go Thanksgiving week. Um, we're hunting. We we've we've already booked it. Yeah. So we booked it. We booked it months ago. I said yeah. if you guys want to go, we need to block out time. And it was. And we all said like missing Halloween is going to be a no go. So we're we actually might leave the night of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um. And just like I, one of our one of the guys in the group has a has a place in Tahoe. So like we might just leave that night after trick or treating and drive to Tahoe that night crash and then like get four out you know knock four hours out of our trip not knock yeah you know bay area sacramento traffic out of our trip um you know and then we'll go for that so we'll be there i hope to pull in you know either the first or the second of november and then we'll be up there for a week so it'll it'll be challenging i mean it's post rut early post rut post rut bulls really tough to hunt second week of the season really tough to hunt well, not only um, that, but you haven't had, depending on weather, the, I feel like the first two weeks of the season mm-hmm. in Montana are so 100% weather dependent. Yeah. Because if it doesn't get cold yeah, and it there's not much snowfall, yeah, it's a super difficult time to hunt. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be in an area that, that hopefully we should, we should be seeing snow. Even, I mean, God, an inch or two is like night and day difference it makes such a huge it makes such a huge difference so um it'll be an adventure um you know i i it'll it'll be fun so what have you told those guys the new guys what have you told them is this gonna be like the first time of their life no they've they've gone out but they've like it's because montana's a beast they've they've just they've done it pretty light well actually mike who's a who is a newer hunter 
So we were up last year. We were up in, in the wilderness in B zone, and like you know, he had a heart. Like he's 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 athletic. He's fit. Like I, I don't have any any worries about um, him. A couple of other guys like they're not they're not serious hunters. They want to they they just enjoy the experience. So I think they'll just have a, they'll just have a blast. Like yeah. they got I got my dad's wall tent. Like we're gonna you oh, know, that's we're, cool. we're gonna throw out a big ass wall tent. Like we're gonna have, we're gonna have fun. Full um, kitchen. Yeah, full <laughs> kitchen. But like I mean I. I want them to understand that when I'm elk hunting in Montana, I'm a little bit, I don't want to say like I'm a different person, but I'm like, I will, I will punish myself. Yeah. Because I know that's what it takes. And again, that's sec- relatable. Though. Second week post rut bulls in Montana that have already been shot at for a week, you know, mm-hmm. longer than that with archery, but you know, rifle season shot out for a week. Like, dude, that's, that is not an easy hunt mm-hmm. and it takes a ton of work um, you know, and you just, you have to, you have to punish yourself on that, but enjoy the ride. That's it's part of that circus that you get into. Like yeah. all of a sudden you're, you know, you're four miles from camp and you, you know, and you shoot a, you shoot a, you know, you shoot a bull or shoot any, I mean, I'll, we have, we'll probably have the opportunity to shoot cows. Um, and I, and I think one of these guys probably will take that opportunity. Um, you know, we're, we're just, we want to go out and, and hunt and have, have a good time. It'll help with, with the wives too. It's like bringing home meat. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, if right. you guys all go kill elk, that's a lot oh, of meat. Dude. Dude. If we kill elk, you if guys we all have kill a elk, lot we are, of fucking coolers. We, ho- we will be hosed. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but I would love, it'd be great, you know, statistically speaking, if we could get, you know, one elk would be great. I think with six people, I think we can, I hope, I hope we can get there. You know, odd say maybe we can get up to two, two elk. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, if you're if you're shooting and packing out elk, you're not hunting. You're not hunting elk. Mm-hmm. Um, although things could happen, and but um, we'll see. Should be good times. So it sounds like Montana is going to be a pretty epic adventure. Oh, I've, I'm guaranteed. So it's it's six. Is it six guys total? Six guys. Six guys total. Yeah. Three are relatively new. Yep. That's rad. And it's for me a big a big thing that I really really love every new hunting season is kind of what you were talking about earlier. Who am I going to hunt with this year? What's this year going to look like? And one of the largest enjoyments that I've had, I'd say going all the way back to like 2007 is getting to go out with first time hunters or really, really uh, unexperienced hunters and getting to watch things click and watch things kind of turn on, lights turn on, you know, and the gears start moving and they start understanding it and comprehending it instead of just like blind going out by themselves. Yeah. With, you know, all they have is, I mean, back then there was no podcasts. There was no, you know, you you read Little Bow Hunter on the Delta or something like that. And that was Mm -hmm. all you kind of had until you were able to apply the knowledge yourself. Yeah. You know, so that's... That's awesome, and it's a knowledge that takes like a lot to, a long time to gain and understand, and it's just it's just hard, right? Yeah. I mean, and you know, especially with like a lot of like new hunters, they might come with, um, you know, either backcountry experience or you know hiking experience. And they're like, oh, I've gone, I've seen deer, backpacking experience. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you you probably have, yeah, in the summer. And Whenever you're not, out. not in the fall, and you know, like just it's just a different, it's a, it's a very different dynamic, right? Um, and you start to understand things better. I think I remember reading, um, 
was like, somebody was telling me, it was a, a woman, she was getting into fly fishing, and she's like, and like her epiphany was all of a sudden understanding rivers. Like, I'd always enjoyed rivers, and and being on rivers, and floating down rivers, and looking at rivers. She's like, but when I started to fly fish, and started to learn about seams, and the change in the water and like looking for those pockets and looking at she's like my perspective entirely changed the back eddies because now I'm I'm looking out of it in a, a totally different light like I'm, I'm enjoying it for its aesthetic beauty and for, for what it is but I'm also looking at this from like well where would the fish be and why would they be here and where would where should I be looking why would they be here instead of and, there instead of there and that's and that's part of this and you, you do that in, in hunting like you start to you start to learn and and figure figure out this riddle like i always i've always approached it i like that as a riddle every year especially especially going someplace new that i mean yeah you can you know maybe somebody told you about an area or you've looked at stuff on a on a map and you've looked at other things and but you have to get there to start until to you put have these eyes things, in the yeah, valley to dude, like put this together and you're shit. like you're like man this looked awesome it's like it's far away from roads, there's security, there's water, there's feed. Like, why aren't they here? Like, and what is going on? And trying to, and trying to solve that part. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, you know, it's that, that part of a hunt is super fun. And can be frustrating as hell. It's like, we were on this hunt last year in the, the wilderness in B-Zone. And we didn't even turn up a deer. That's rough. And it was like doesn't make sense there's tracks here they're old right but deer have been here deer have been through here at, at some point but what the hell like where where are they like we you know we saw a couple bears um and i thought for sure like we would i didn't expect to see a lot of deer but i expected to at least to see like a deer mm-hmm. and we didn't see anything and it was just super humbling but i'm like okay new area never been to it before um, had a lot of early hunting pressure, and that's probably a very big indicator there. Of it just had a lot of early hunting pressure, and that's pro- they've probably just pushed out. They've pushed out to maybe areas a little more security, and maybe they've gone nocturnal. I don't know, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't see a lot of fresh signs, so I'm assuming that they weren't nocturnal because otherwise, fresh sign would have been there. But it was it was humbling and rough, but you know, still had a great time. Right. Well, how how long have you been hunting California for? Since it was since 2006. Since 2006. So it's like it was 2006 and then... California's a different beast, man, than is. most other states, in my opinion. I, you know? I, I I think it is. We have such varied terrain, right? I mean... you got a little uh, bit of everything. We, you know, I love... I love hunting the... I love hunting, you know, the grass and oaklands of Azone. Mm-hmm. It's just such a cool terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's... Can be brutally hot and rattlesnake awful, country. and rattlesnakes, and <laughs> um, but you can get close to the, you can try and get close to the ocean and get a little bit of yeah uh, coolness coolness that way. But um, super tough. It was that was like it was funny, um, and I was just like I posted something like on Facebook the other day. Cause people were asking about spotting scopes. I'm like that was where I determined I needed the spotting scope because if you see a deer, you know, a thousand yards away off in the in these oaky grasslands with these monocolor backgrounds and you know you're not gonna you're not gonna see a 180 inch blacktail deer they I mean a lot of our genetics they're typically just small two by two frame deer yeah that's very common even though they can but 
it's brutal to see it against the heat mirage. Yeah. A couple of heat mirage and that far off. I'm like, <laughs> that's when you need a freaking spotter. Because like yeah. I, I remember like this first time I was at I was at uh, Cottonwood Creek Wildlife Area, mm-hmm. and I was seeing a ton of deer, and I was seeing deer way off, and I'm like. I can't tell if that's a buck. I'm not going after that thing. It's 95 fucking degrees out, right? right? Like, I'm not, I don't want to go chasing, chasing after a deer 95 degrees if I don't know that it's actually a shootable deer. And I couldn't tell yeah. between distance and heat mirage. And just, you know, you, so that was when I decided, like, I need a spotter for these A-zone California hunts. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and what you're bringing up you, from A-zone, right, and the rolling grasslands and the yeah. oaks and... All that stuff, you cut straight across the valley floor and you come onto the west side of the Sierras, you know, tall pine timber and all kinds of stuff like that. Roll down the east side of the Sierras out into the the X zones and you're in the sagebrush flats. So you get that sage mule deer feeling. Yeah. Right. And then you go up to the the PNW and you start, not the PNW, but like the Pacific north of our state. Yeah. You know, Del Monte the, area. Yeah, yeah, you know, you get up there and, and King's Range and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And you, re, like, the diversity of our climate is yeah. so huge. Well, I know a lot of people hunt, like, out in, like, the, out in the desert near San Bernardino mm-hmm. and try and turn up. In Southern California. Tree. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's, it's wild, man. Yeah. It's it's just totally, totally crazy terrain. Like, there's, and you could spend a lifetime hunting, hunt, learning to hunt any one of those areas and still probably zone. be challenged but it's but there's there's just so much there's so much area to try yeah. and figure out growing up in washington it was we used to hunt um you know we used to hunt the uh you know a lot of people call it the wet side and yeah. the dry side right so you'd hunt the you hunt the west and you'd hunt a lot of warehouser property that was that was a really big one for blacktails and, and it was wet and dense and and really tough to hunt, and you climb over the the Cascade Crest, and you're in you're in desert and pine and, and a lot of sagebrush country. Yeah. So it just it changes changes really quick. Yeah. So it's insane, man. I love it though. I love it's, it. It's it's fun because it's like let's let's you know let's throw a dart at a map and try and go figure out someplace someplace new. Yeah. Well, um, and so for me, man, and and you bring up a really good point in finding a place new. A buddy and myself are talking about going into a place that we've never hunted. Neither of us have ever hunted. And both of us with our archery equipment are extremely proficient mm-hmm. California hunters. You know, we both put down good bucks. Um, he's put down way better bucks than I've ever even seen. Uh, but we're kind of like, maybe we should just challenge ourselves this year. Throw a dart at a different zone yeah. and go hunt that place and see if... If it's years of experience of hunting all of the same stuff and knowing how it works, knowing how it operates, knowing the nature mm-hmm. and then or see or see if it's if it's if it's talent and skill and go somewhere where we don't know anything and if we could figure it out in ten days. Yeah. You know? The riddle. The riddle, dude. The riddle. Man. The riddle of nature, dude. Yeah. Cause it's it's like there's just there's just so much opportunity and it's just it's just fun to learn the process mm-hmm. and so, to learn different things and to and just to to try and figure out and leverage those experiences of where you've even been other places that are totally unrelated and maybe those experiences can can help you tie back um, into what you're doing at yeah. the present time yeah yeah so do you hunt like private do you hunt public do you hunt a little bit of both or i i'd say i i have opportunities to hunt private occasionally mm-hmm. um but i'm almost all public me too 
right? It's just, I mean, everyone, so I, you know, I've, I've got some people that, that, you know, have some, have some property and, um, you know, I've got and got invited out a couple of times to go, but it's not something that I, I would say I, I actively pursue it, but you know, the opportunity presents itself. I'll, I'll definitely go out. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm always looking for an opportunity to hunt. Right. Right. I mean, that's anywhere. Yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, it's, it's mostly, I mean, it's mostly, mostly just public. So do you think that there is a huge, and that we can get controversial or we can keep it PC. Do you think that there's a huge difference between hunting public land and hunting private land in California? I, I think that would be true anywhere you would go. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think a result of that would just be, um, just a hunting pressure issue. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a really big component is that you're just going to have uh, different hunting pressure dynamics. Um, and that's that's just that's going to be your main di difference driver. Typically, if you go onto public land where it's got good access and a lot of people are just going to naturally end up there because you've got good access, you're going to have a lot of road traffic. And not I'm not saying road hunters. I'm saying a lot of road traffic. Just people getting in there. They're bringing their camps, their rigs. They're they're getting you know they're they're getting into those areas. So you've got a lot of road traffic on those main arterials. And then you do have, you know you do have road hunters and, and whatnot too. But it, that that changes the the dynamic. You know? yeah. and, and not to say that. Um, deer won't still stick near, especially deer won't stick near a road because they, they will. Deer are edge driven animals. They live, they like to live on, on the edges of habitat. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it just, there, but there, there can also be a, another influence on top of that of where it's going to, it's, you're going to push animals away. I mean, they've, we're back to Montana now, but especially like elk with all like the GPS stuff. I, I'm really like fascinated by the GPS technologies coming out and wildlife management because it's opening a, a lot of eyes to a lot of things. Like they had, when they were doing the Bitterroot elk study, they could literally just see the weekends on the calendar because the elk would disperse every weekend. Because, you know, people are going out, they're going camping, hiking, whatever. Really? Not even during hunting seasons. Not even during hunting seasons. Yeah, they. Never, I wish they would have published this. Um, and, and maybe they will, or maybe it'll come out at some point. But they could literally see that the elk were dispersing from the roaded areas on the weekends during the summertime when heavier you know, traffic, like heavier traffic. They're just like you know when it and it would just it would push elk away a little bit, and then you know they'd migrate back during the week, and then big weekends, Fourth of July, or you know those, those weekends, they would it would push them a little bit further, just How because of, just because of the traffic, right? And that's elk. Yeah, it's Montana. That's not deer, but. It's but that type of that type of knowledge for us to learn to like understand where these animals are going. We cannot we understand migrations. We still have way more to learn about migration patterns, but mm -hmm. we're starting to understand a lot more through GPS technology. Like yeah. we're figuring out where these deer are going, how far they are going, or antelope or or elk or whatever. Like th these migration studies and these initiatives are happening all around the West. Really cool stuff to follow. Like, yeah. I just, I totally geek out on that stuff. Well, I hope for our state, we definitely start getting a better idea of our wildlife population. Yeah. I I would like to see, you know, especially we've got so many, like, I think, I think about like the, the West Slope Sierra deer numbers, right? Which is probably the vast majority of where hunters go. I mean, maybe, you know, Bison's got a lot of people too, but on like those road corridors like how much how much are the deer crossing 
or how much are they crossing 120, 108, mm-hmm. 88, I5, or not I5, but um, but 80, mm-hmm. like uh, 49. Like what? How much? How much are those roads having having an impact on those deer? I mean, we got a, a weird thing. Like we have winter range, we do, but um, it's not it's not like others because deer can get down below the snow line pretty easily here and get into an area where they can they can be sustained well in a lot of places in the sierras i mean for a deer to drop below snow line they could be at the top and be below snow line and you know mm-hmm. an hour of movement yeah no or very less. Sure. yeah it, you know, they it just doesn't... go straight down yeah no there's i mean there's <laughs> and there's some easy. really there's some t- places that just have really deep valleys yeah. at the top it's snow at the bottom it's it's not they can get they can get down there so I I'd like to see. I mean, I know we've done some GPS collar studies of, of deer and migration routes. Now, we are you talking about the state? Or are you talking about backcountry hunters and anglers or hunters? Uh, no, the, the state. Okay. The state, yeah, yeah. Department of Fish and Wildlife. Yeah, I'd like to see more of that data. That's like that's been it's like a recommendation of mine to them as for the for the department. It's like publish more of this data that you guys learn of it. Like you know, this stuff's. I like it. Maybe yeah. other people will. And I'm trying to trying to understand. I was talking with one of the biologists of you know, and he was telling me about one of the, the GPS deer they had. They had the deer was up by Markleyville mm-hmm. in the summer, mm-hmm. and he came all the way down to Jawbone Ridge. Really, for winter range down into D6. That's a trek. Yeah, that's crazy. How many other deer are doing that? Yeah, like I mean, like, you know, that that'd be a really critical point. We've all, I think, I don't think there's a hunter in California that doesn't have issues with with the deer, the deer herd numbers, right? I mean, we, you know, we we liked, I think, but I think a lot of that is just we just like to know more and try. Well, to I don't feel like we know anything. Uh, yeah, there is no, and I mean, across the board from bears to mountain lions to maybe possibly wolves to our deer herds to our elk herds, I don't feel like as the state is concerned and as hunters are concerned that we have enough funding being put into biologists to actually be able to just spend the time in the field and figure out what's really going on. Yeah. You know, we've got, I mean, we have a little bit, I think, I think there's, I think there's, there's some of it. Some species are better than others that mm-hmm. right. Wolves. Everybody's triggered right now. Yeah. That's the point. <laughs> um, but <laughs> wolves, we, we know quite a bit about wolves in California. Why? Because they are a hot button species, and and there are a lot of people that care a lot about it. From yeah. you know the Farm Bureau and ranching community to um, you know to the animal rights activists. Like the department can't so much as mention the word without like having people on their back, yeah. right? And, and know, hunting and, and the hunting community and too. And the hunting community. And there's guys like oh well, there you know there's all sorts of rumors out there. I'm like I, I guarantee you, there's probably no better species that we kind of have our finger on right now than wolves, even because though it's not talked about really i mean it i think it i think it is i mean is i it? think they they know i think they pretty well know like what's going on yes a rogue wolf we know wolves can travel a long distance very long and and they'll go solo and we we've, we've already seen that we saw that with that one that came down Otaw. somebody posted up on facebook today that there was there was one outside of squaw valley mm-hmm. um that's a pretty dog too <laughs> but we have a pretty you know we have a pretty good idea of what's going on with them um not, but like I said, because everybody is hypersensitive about it. Uh-huh. Deer, we're not necessarily worried about deer from a sensitivity suspe- yeah. aspect like wolves, right? But, and we know we've got 
decent deer numbers. Some are doing better better than others, but I, I'd, I'd like to see more more data of you know understanding a lot of those nuanced components, like what's going on in you know in B zone versus versus the D zones versus the X zones. Um, you know, I know that uh, I got to talk to one biologist about like X X nine A nine A B and twelve like. That deer, that deer really suffered. That herd suffered. They've reduced tag numbers, which is good to see. The department's being responsive. Like, hey, like the deer are struggling. We're going to reduce tag numbers, and so we'll see if we can bump them back up. But those deer were struggling. They were they were malnourished based on the the you know the biological evidence of, of stuff. And and so that was a reactive component. The west slope of the Sierra is a, a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Um, so I think we, I, but I think back to like that deer that migrated from Markleyville to Jawbone, like where are those deer going? Like how could we, how could we enhance some of that? Mm-hmm. Like what, what would How can take? we help? How can we help? And, and what's, what are the really big factors? Obviously everyone's going to, going to get excited about predators. Um, but you know, our, I don't want to say our hands totally forced, but it's kind of forced there. Of like what we could do within like our limitations. Um, you know, there's there's certain elements there that that just aren't going to move, and so what can we do that's potentially going to be, um, you know, that can, that can be effective? Yeah. Right. This state has a lot of limitations, and I know guys get really fired up, but I'm I'm I kind of I've always taken the approach of like kind of being a of a realist of like what can we actually do with within within the playing field that's been created for us in our state in our state which is can be pretty freaking tough to deal with yeah right we've got some pretty big guardrails at the edges which kind of sucks but this is the hand we're dealt and we have to we have to try and work forward and see what we can do to try and improve those deer numbers now something that you bring up and we'll go on a side tangent and probably come right back to the deer numbers but we have these guardrails and we're in this state, right? Where everything's kind of chaotic, you know, one side to the other, Mm -hmm. right? And especially when it is involving hunting an animal. Yeah. And then you have all these other states that are like, well, you know, California's fucking ass backwards and this and that, and people don't want to pay any attention to what's been going on in California for the last 30 solid years when it comes to hunting and, and wildlife management. But then those same guys are complaining that all these guys from California, not hunters, but just eco-Nazis, whatever you want to call them, are Mm -hmm. going into their states and starting to change their wildlife management. And I would think that these people from other states want to come to Californians and be like, hey, you guys have been dealing with this for 30 years. What are you guys doing to deal with this? How can we learn from you instead of shutting the door on California and saying that we're a lost cause because the end game, in my opinion, with the way things are going across majority of Western hunting States, they're all going to end up down the California road, whether it's really far or not really far. That's the direction that a lot of those States are all headed. Yeah. I, I, I think as a, with a, with a broad brush, Mm -hmm. I think the best way that, I can try and put this in perspective for people of knowing, getting to know a lot of different people in other states, getting to know people that have dealt with a lot of like the legislative issues. Uh, You're fairly connected. Other, I mean, you work and, with BHA. Yeah. And, you know. Um, well, even long before that. Like, yeah. But nobody. I don't want to say nobody. But 
nobody will make it and make hunting and 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 fishing to a lesser extent a priority for you. You cannot rely on a group. Um, you cannot rely on anybody to stand up for hunting other than hunters. Um, you know, in California, uh, obviously we have uh, people that are, you know, that are kind of on the far, far left of the spectrum that are, you know, causing undue influence amongst um, amongst hunting and angling. Although, you know, we had a bill last year that came up in, in California that was sponsored by a Republican that I think most hunters considered a, a pretty bad approach um, when it came to, you know, when it came to pig management. In Montana, because that's one of the better examples that I know of, and I know a lot of people, I think a lot of people would be shocked to see that there's, there's a lot of challenges from the farming and ranching community within Montana. Um, you know, creating further limitations on general public access to hunting and those challenges. People, I mean, you know, in Montana, they currently have a six-month elk season. A six-month elk season. That's August, like us with a six-month deer season. August, August 15th. Yeah. August 15th until February 15th, you can hunt elk in Montana. Wow. And that is because a lot of landowners, and I, and I'm not, I'm not casting blame. It's just a statement of fact. Landowners don't like elk, in general, as a, as kind of a general rule, because elk will come in, they'll eat feed for cattle, and that causes problems, right? Those are wildlife conflicts, and issues that you see, you know, across any states when you have issues of wildlife conflict, people aren't going to necessarily. Um, you know, stand up for the wildlife on those issues. It's it's hard. It's hard to stand up for those issues, especially if it has any economic impact on you. Um, so those are just some of the challenges. And so I, I've I've always kind of taken the approach of, you know, our parents at a very young age taught us to look both left and right when we cross the street. And there's a reason for that because you never know where that you know where that ne next risk is coming. Um, you know, my friend. Randy, Randy Newberg, we were just talking about the other day. He goes, he goes, you know, I've seen wildlife bills or good hunting bills and bad hunting. I'd see bad hunting bills come from the people that you least expect it. And I've seen, <laughs> I've seen great hunting bills come from the people that you least expect. Isn't it. that so funny? So it's, it's really important. I don't know if I could stress this enough. And like I said, I come at this from, I'm an accountant. I'm an, I, I was an auditor. So I, I, I come at it looking at everything as flawed. Um, and you have to kind of try and find the truth to it and don't, don't fall trapped to your confirmation bias, right? We already want to assume who's out to get us yeah. or, um, who's with us or who's against us or whatever. We always, we always want to say, cause it's, it's easy, right? But a lot of times, you know, you can, you can be, um, you know, you can, you can fall, fall into that trap yeah. and, and. You know, we have a really good idea of those challenges where they're coming at in California, but other states they have those same challenges. And there's, at the end of the day, special interests, whether wherever it comes from the political spectrum, typically doesn't doesn't really want to stand up for hunting, healthy habitat, and wildlife. 
you know, they might have some issues where they align a little bit and they have other issues where they're off on a tangent. It's just really important to try and look at that as critical as you can. Yeah. And those are, those are, you know, they're just, they're tough issues to deal with. And it's up for hunters to, you know, you know, put down the rhetoric for a bit and try and find an opportunity to get involved and to, to do something and to make sure that you're paying attention to like what's going on. Um, you know, and, and where where are these potential where are these potential challenges coming out coming out to you next? Yeah. Well, I mean, and today we're lucky because we're at West Coast Archery, mm-hmm. and we're going to be doing questions and answers with California Department of Fish and Game. Mm-hmm. And I'm really really excited about it, but on the flip side, I'm really nervous as far as because I know how. We can be our own worst enemies yeah. as hunters. Yeah. And what I see a lot more recently is the state and wardens are trying to help rectify their image with hunters, mm-hmm. um, as well as being more receptive to working um, in, I guess, working in harmony with yeah. hunters, right? Yeah. And and trying to figure out a solution to what might have been a weird relationship for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, however long, right? Yeah. Making it better, mending fences at yeah. least. And having the opportunity that we have today to do this is amazing. I can't even believe that we have the opportunity to sit down and do this on an open public forum. Yeah. And I'm so nervous because... How easily could it be for one person to come in and just be bananas because all they can see is their own way? Yeah. And have no willingness to ease up and and sit back and be like, all right, where can we find solutions? Where can we find middle ground? I I think I I that's 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 really valid. I also think that when we get together face to face, our conversations are different, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a very disconnected world mm-hmm. of where we where we communicate and talk with people through you know through through a, a smart device, keyboard a cowboy. Yeah, and it's and there, <laughs> there's that component, but you know it's we you know we we want this sense of community. Right. I mean, I, God, I, you don't, you don't meet another hunter in California, like in person and not just be like, well, cool. Where do you hunt? What do you do? What do you like to, you know, you, you just have this curiosity. You have this camaraderie. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think a lot of that is just because it's, it's a face to face interaction. And I think as humans, we really need that. Right. And we've in society, society wise, we've become more and more disconnected and sheltered and we hide behind, you know, screens and, and mask and whatnot, but when we when you have these opportunities to have these conversations and like sit down, we really realize that that our our, our values aren't that much different. Or you know maybe we have different perspectives, and that's cool. Like, and we've kind of forgotten about how we can disagree on stuff, and it's okay, and not be disagreeable. Yeah, right. Like it's like you know what I you know I don't I don't I think a little bit differently on that because my perspective is X Y and Z, and that's cool, and that's part of having 
It's part of being a fucking adult, to it's, be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. It's just, it's literally just, just part of being an adult. And, but, this isn't temper um, tantrum land. Yeah. It's, um, you know, but I think when we kind of break down these barriers, better, better things happen. And I think, I think we need to continue to work to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so with, with like a BHA, like I'll, I'll say one of the things that, that we've seen is that, so we started, we started doing these pint nights. We're doing these pint nights nationally. Yeah. You know what I think are, one of the reasons why they're really successful? Because people get to get together mm-hmm. and like, and share stories and learn from each other. And, and I think it, people are looking for community, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're looking for that. And many of us are just tired of the outrage culture of we're always outraged over something. And it's not to say there's not a lot to be outraged over. There, mm-hmm. there definitely is. But I'm, I'm kind of an eternal optimist, and I always want to see the good and the upside and, like, how can we do things better type thing. And I, and I think there's, um, there's a Datsun in the window. That's what awesome. <laughs> Um, you know, but I, I, I think that element of, of community and getting people together and having these conversations and understanding somebody yeah. else's perspective, their challenges, their limitations, yeah. right? People bag on the department of like, well, we can't hunt bears with hounds and we got to use copper and we got to use... None of that shit came from the department. Mm-hmm. That came from the legislature. It, it definitely didn't come from the wardens. Right? You yeah. know, it came from the legislature. So they're dealing with the hand. They're dealt. Like, they again... We talk about our as as hunters our guardrails. Yeah. Look at the guardrails the damn department has on them. Yeah. They have to work within some pretty pretty narrow constraints. Fine line. They man. have to walk very fine lines. Yeah. Right. And so. And how can you not respect that? Yeah. You know, like of course, sure. There's. It's there's, not. It's not. It's not like especially the warden community are making a million bucks a year not, to walk these fine lines. All. No. Not even close. They're doing it. They're they're doing it for for the love. Of, of wildlife and hunting and fishing. Yeah. By and large. Yeah. Are there some, are there some bad apples in there? What group doesn't have bad yeah. apples? I don't care. I don't Across care who the you, board. Right? Whether it's hunter, like yeah. how many poachers are there, right? Yeah. Like, just yeah. bad apples, right? Yeah. How many, how many, you know, maybe bad cops are there that might be a prick or something yeah. like this? Or, you know, how many wardens might be an asshole? How many corrupt politicians might there be? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, well, and I, think cor- I think there's an inverse relationship <laughs> with politicians. <laughs> there's only a few good apples. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, but, no, I'm not kidding. But, yeah. but, but right, and that's, and, you know, and that's why I've always had a, uh, of, of all the people that, at the department that I've loved, at the, at the, at the warden level, um, at the, you know, at the more, the administrative level, the communications level, like, they, they're they've got some pretty tough constraints to deal with and it's really cool that they're like coming out here because i think that's part of maybe that's part of that problem is there wasn't like that public outreach Mm -hmm. and to see that opportunity to come here and to to you know to to meet some hunters and have an open forum q a i hope we can all come back with a little bit different perspective i hope i hope you know the wardens learn something i hope that we learn something and then it's a building block yeah. What's next? Where do we Where do we get to this Where do we get to this next thing? It's a huge component of the R three thing that we're working on right yeah. now. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people. The department wouldn't have done this. They're they have a massive undertaking in this R three campaign. Um, they're investing a lot of time and effort, and there are a ton of volunteers of people that are just stepping up and being on these volunteer subcommittees to try and shape this and try and build this and take this forward. And this is happening nationally 
and it's the same nationally. Like hunters and and anglers uh, to a lesser extent are really realizing that whether it's we've sat in our silo too long, whether we rested our laurels or whatever else is like there, we, we need to do something more and seeing the department really take this seriously and try and move forward with it um, is, is pretty awesome because they're, they're trying to do something and you know, whether, and it's just, and it can be something small, just like this of having a, having a Q and a um, and, and that opportunity to sit, to sit down. Yeah. Like, Let's let's sit down. Let's let's have a conversation, and maybe we can all learn something. Again, we'll just we'll move well, forward it, from here. It's like what you were talking about with BHA's pint nights. I've gone to a couple of them, mm-hmm. and I've I've had a good time. I don't drink, yeah. So I'm really you know hoping for that one day when they're going to do like a BHA a dry night like barbecue at yeah. noon, you know, instead of like pint night at six or whatever. Um, we're working on that. <laughs> I know you and you and I have talked about it. I just. So. They, <laughs> my heart says yes. My calendar says no. Right? I know, right? <laughs> that's my heart. That's yeah. the hardest part. Well, yeah. I mean, who who's got a Saturday at noon to yeah to go to go do something? But you know, you want to throw in some R three stuff right there, you know, and and guys show up and bring their entire families, and it's a day that's on it. the green, and yeah. there's go kickball, to, and go go to a park, and you, go you to know, a park where they've got barbecuing some barbecue pits, and, and like yep. You know, and, I, and we just, I want to, I'm, I'm trying to get something on schedule here for, for something in the NorCal community. It's always a hard spot. Like I live in the South Bay, so yeah. like I can just do something right there, but I'm like, well, wait a minute. What if I did it like more like East Bay, like a little bit East of Oakland, I can maybe get people from Sacramento. Like, you yeah, know, you could kinda, try and I, it would be I, like Vacaville. I, I analyze things. You know, that, where like 680 Vac- comes yeah. up, you know, Fairfield, yeah. you know. Is that Cornelius that, Junction, yeah. maybe? Well, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges of here, of just dealing with stuff in the state. Like, shit, you can live 50 miles away, and it's a three-hour commute. No matter and what. It sucks. Dude. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It's like, you know, I was nervous coming up here today. I'm like, I hope I hope it's not that bad of traffic. And it wasn't, but it was midday. But, yeah. you know, it's a wild card. So what do you do with BHA? Like, what's your involvement with it? I am... Because uh, every time I talk to you, I feel like you're, like, seriously involved. I am. Yeah, uh, I am. Uh, I'm the vice chair of the national board. Holy smokes! And um, recent, recently vice chair. Um, but I've been on the national board for two years now. I'm, I'm the vice chair, and then I, um, I also was one of the um, founding members of the California chapter. Okay. So we founded the chapter in 20, 2013. Well, I saw you guys just posting stuff the other day about the new California sheep wells. The, the water dripping systems that they're creating for sheep instead of guzzlers and all that kind of stuff. You guys made a post on Instagram about it. I thought it was awesome. We did? Yeah. Okay, cool. I missed it. Connected. I know. <laughs> no, we, there's, like, there's like five of us that all contribute into that. Yeah. Um, there might even be more. Um, yeah, but that's, you know, those are those are issues that, that we've got to deal with. I mean, they, you know, you look at um, sheep and water issues, especially down south. We've, yeah, we've got our we've got our challenges in the Mojave National Preserve. Absolutely, um, that we're that we're trying to work on. Um, but yeah, so those that's my role. So I, I'm also on you know I'm on the California board. I've been on the board since since we we founded it. Um, so I'm involved at the state level as well as the state chapter level as well as um, you know the national the national level. Mm-hmm. So, what's the difference between the? I mean, obviously state and national are going to be different but your involvement like how much effort and energy does each one take like 
Um, because is it voluntary? It's all. It's all voluntary. It's all voluntary, we have, right? We have all so state and nationally, both both whether it's a state board or a national board, it's all volunteer based. Yeah. Um, state is more frequent and lighter lifts, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, national is is heavier lifts, more infrequently. Yeah. Right. So it's like we all get together. Um, uh, you know, we get together and we hash out. You know, strategic vision for the organization. Like this, this past spring, we did um, strategic vision for the organization. Where do we want? We we've, we've had tremendous growth. Uh, we're at thirty-seven, thirty-eight thousand members nationally now. Where do we Where do we want to go in like the next the next three years? Like, what 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 does that path yeah. um, for us look like? We're growing very very fast, and that's that's high growth is really challenging to deal with. Um, because you have to, you're, you've got limited resources, and you have to try and figure out where to where to put them to make it most effectively. You don't want people to get burned out. Like those are those are some of those challenges. Yeah. State level, we've uh, we've had a lot of starts and stops. Um, you know, it's just it's just been hard with an all volunteer base. Um, you know, and, and life comes up, and and things happen, and, and people you know they're active, and then they're not because because stuff happens. I think we we've really got a great board now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of people that are doers and we've kind of spread a bunch of people throughout the state so it's like people can host events and we can try and target areas around the state and get mm-hmm. people involved which is which is cool it's that now that we're at that level we also have a paid staff member now we have a paid what we call chapter coordinators so they're paid staff so they are the liaison between the state chapter and the national org Intern- oh, actually I, I, I should correct it's uh, it's not I'm not on the national board. I'm on the North American board because we do have chapters oh, in Canada. So really, yeah. So uh, Bill Hanlon, our 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 guys in Canada, Canada. Um, you know, I, I don't want to leave them out. Yeah. You ever want to talk to a dude with cool hunting stories? Really, Bill Hanlon. Really, yeah. I'll remember that. But found found, found a, a native uh, person, a North American native in the ice in Canada. Crazy freaking story. Whoa! Yeah, it's a. I don't even want to go to like this. The story's like, yeah, it's it's amazing. We're gonna have, you're gonna have to pass me some numbers. Oh, it's super. It's super. We're gonna cool. have to figure something out. Um. So, but uh, you know, but so we've got people throughout the state. We're trying to we're trying mm-hmm. to host more. Um, we've got a guy in Southern California, Justin Bubenik, who's been awesome. Uh, hardcore like angler guy. So he's he's really big into the angling side. That's we've cool. got hunters. We've got anglers. Yeah. He's been he's been doing a bunch of stuff like the pa- Pasadena Fly Fishing Club and getting some fishing events going on down there. Uh, Nick Zagaris is out in um, is in Auburn. He's always running stuff. We've got this archery shoot coming up on the thirtieth, thirtieth of June, and I can't think of the the name of the archery location, but there's a there's a three D archery shoot out there. So there's an an opportunity coming up there. Um, and you know we're just trying to get we're just trying to get more more events going on. Um, and now that we've got people kind of spread throughout the state, they can kind of spearhead it a little bit better. Well, something that I like, and you were you were talking about it earlier, or we we were talking about it earlier, not in this podcast, but what I can appreciate for what you do as a volunteer. Um, there's a lot of people in the hunting world that love to talk about changes that we need to have and there's a lot of people that put a lot of emphasis on what everybody else needs to be doing Mm -hmm. and all they do is fucking talk about it and it drives me it drives me crazy yeah it drives me crazy because 
instead of talking about it and telling other people to go do things and get things done, why don't you just go do something? You know what I mean? Because there's so many different places to be involved and different levels to be yeah. involved at or volunteer or whatever to make a change that why not? Because and and this is what you talked about in this podcast. The only people who are going to help hunters primarily are going to be hunters, yeah. being active. Yeah, and there ain't money to be made in that active part that's going to be helping the community. Yeah, you know, it's 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 just a lot of getting out there, volunteering, and doing whatever we can to help pass the tradition. Yeah, you know, and and. So I, I appreciate that. It's it, you know, I, to me, it's I'm I'm very fortunate. I'm in a position in in my life where I have time to dedicate, and I know everybody doesn't have time. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I want everybody, but you know, if you really care about it, you got to do something. And yeah. whether that's making sure that you're constantly reaching out to your to your state assembly member or senator. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I'm I'm always firing off emails, or I'm always calling the offices, telling them how I feel about an issue. And it's and it's not like I think a lot of there's, there's no great mystery of like these issues. If you if you are uh, take the Bobcat ban, AB AB twelve fifty four. I think I'm right on that. Uh, right. It just takes a call to your to your representative and say I am I am against the the ban of the you know the 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 bill mm-hmm. and. The little staffer will just record that and then no column, and then they have to reconcile that up and, and present that to the to the legislator. Now you can write an email, which is a much longer conversation, right? Which is which is cool because sometimes you can give a lot of context. The phone call is just yay or nay. Okay, good, thanks, bye. Um, that's a, it's a really quick thing. Uh, well, it doesn't you- it doesn't that doesn't take much. It doesn't really take much to write an email either. Gather your thoughts, be thoughtful. Um, you know. Don't like try and disparage anybody in the email, but just give a very matter of fact represent, representation. Yeah. And so those are just little things. Will you be heard? Will you be listened to? Will they always follow what your recommendation is? No, but you got to start somewhere. And it's can you can you get five of your buddies to call in? Like I literally when the when the the bill when AB AB twelve fifty four was coming up for a vote in the Senate because I think it's still got to go back to the Assembly or vice versa. They're still Sorry. working on it. I'm backwards on that, but wherever it came up for a full floor vote um, within one of the, one of the houses, like I, my five buddies that I'm going to Montana with, I I sent a text to each of them. I'm the, I said, guys, just call please and just say, you know, this is this is you know we can we can talk about it that nauseum. I'll, I'll explain. To my opinions, but call and on a 16 hour car ride to Montana, yeah, right? We'll talk about on the car ride to Montana, but make that phone call, yeah. And sure enough, four out of the five did, yeah. One guy was like, Hey, I'm, tra- I'm traveling in Asia right now, okay, cool. You're off, the- <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're excused, but that's that's literally that that's that's like to start at like a very small level of how to like get involved. The next thing, you know, and then look at other areas of where, where you can where you can help out. <laughs> Whether it's a, a bill coming through the Senate, reaching out to your to your favorite NGO, if you're a member of of Cal Deer, Cal Waterfowl, Elk Foundation, yeah. you know Wild Sheep Foundation, every one of these groups has people involved in the R three effort, and this is going to start. It's going to start coalescing here. We're going to start to move forward. 
call in and ask and, and, and say, I, I want to help out with the R3 effort. Yeah. Or do nothing formally and w- worry about going through an organization. Find, find a buddy and take them hunting. Yeah. So, something as simple as that mm-hmm. can, you know, can, can start to spawn this stuff. There's, there's always areas where you can, you can try and get involved. And whether it's, you know, like I said, it, you can try and help out the department, which is, I think is, can sometimes be a little bit harder, but they are always looking for volunteers of like sheet counts and stuff and keep an eye out for that type of stuff. Um, you know, your NGOs are going to pr- potentially have opportunities that you can try and step up and get involved, making sure that you're following what's going on legislatively and, you know, send a, send an email if you can, or send a phone call if you can, get your buddies to do that too. That's all stuff that we can be doing. Um, we all, as hunters, we, we have an image problem and, and I'm not going to say it's all justified. Yeah, of course we have an image, problem. but it doesn't matter. We, we our we, socks have to match our underwear, have to match our gloves, <laughs> have to match our right? rhino harness, have to match our bow. We're um, fashionistas. Uh, all of us. You Sorry. can't, you can't mix Kuyu Verde <laughs> and first light fusion. <laughs> God. No, um, sorry. No, I know it's, but, but like a a big, you know, and a big part of that is, is just what can you do to help to try and change that image? We're all ambassadors, Mm -hmm. right? We have to be ambassadors for what we are. And we're stewards of the land. And we're stewards of the land. Do we want, do we want somebody to control the narrative that we're just bloodthirsty people out there looking to shoot the biggest wreck? Mm Mm-hmm. We've let that we've let people control that narrative for us for how long? And we and we haven't done ourselves any favors with like outdoor TV, right? It's all you know about the, the biggest buck and this and that, right? So we we've done ourselves in, but we need to be we need to be better ambassadors, right? We need to have you know whether it's venison diplomacy, trailhead diplomacy, whatever you can do to try and reach out to people that may not may, either may or may not have an opinion of hunters I may mean, have may have a, a favorable or unfavorable opinion of hunters, but like, like, try and like reach out to somebody, and then all of a sudden, you know, and maybe change somebody's perspective. We just need more venison flip flop barbecue. We do. To be honest. Well, look when when we we know the we know the numbers on this. When hunting, you know, we we you know we we've done the numbers when we when we talk about hunting for food. Hunting has like an like a ninety percent approval rating. Yeah. When it's hunting for quote unquote trophies, air quotes. Yeah. For those of you who aren't following, they can't see me. Which is a totally freaking loaded term. That's let that where we. I think we've let somebody kind of control that narrative. Our our numbers fall like below fifty percent. Mm-hmm. So, how do we how do we run that venison diplomacy? I mean, people get fired up about. Oh, it's all the people in L.A. and San Francisco. They just they hate meat. I'm like, no, they don't. There's a lot of real hipster restaurants that are that are that serve a lot of meat in both those cities. And there's a lot of people that are really cool with it. And there's a lot of people that would be really cool with being able to eat wild game. And I and I'll tell you right now, like I, I practice what I preach on this. I feed a lot of people who have no exposure to hunting. I feed them wild game. And that's that's that venison diplomacy. That's doing that's doing a venison flip flop. Yeah. Right. And people are just like, this is awesome. Right. Community, sitting down at the table, breaking bread, having detailed conversation so you yeah. can gain a little bit better perspective of somebody that you that you may not be f- familiar with yeah. that's huge yeah right when Omer when when Omer looked at me and when I fed him at the uh, Kuyu Mountain Academy yeah when I sliced off a piece of venison and gave it to him off the blade of the knife yeah and he ate it and he's like this is the best venison I've ever had in my life yeah completely genuine with his statement 
and then followed it up with, "Did you shoot this buck in a in a field like a grain field or an yeah. alfalfa field?" Yeah. And I was like, "No, not at all." So this is, you know, it was this almost eighteen pound hind quarter off a of California public land deer, yeah. and he was just like. I didn't know that you could do this with venison. Yeah, that's we have so many we have so many freaking hunters that don't even know what you can do with the food. Yeah, right. And that's that's changing. Thank God, there's yeah. guys like Hank Shaw writing writing his book, you know, Buck Buck Moose, and then you know, Ranella's obviously got books out there, and there's other yeah. wild game cooking. Thank God those are coming out because I heard people are like, oh, I didn't know you could eat shanks. I'm like, dude, that's like the best part of the animal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like so that's even within our own community. If like yeah. people like, oh, you just gotta you gotta grind that. Oh, you can't eat that. Yeah. Like, no, man. Yeah. There's... Every time someone posts a picture with the venison hindquarters, and I'm like, just don't cut those up. I know. And then they yeah. cut them up, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? I get so I, I I joke a lot, and and I know it's not like per, but people are like, yeah, I gotta bone that out. I'm like, no, don't don't yeah. bone it out. Keep the bones. Yeah. But you know circumstantial sometimes sometimes you got to do that and that's that's cool but like yeah. as somebody who loves to cook wild game like i i like to get it as whole as possible yeah and then if i want to break it down and, and go from there i can but you know because you all you can never put it back together Mm-mm. so as long as you can start with those those big parts right but that's you know that's that's huge food man. i think is such a vessel for us oh, that's dude. an untapped i mean it's a semi-tapped resource but Realistically, we have, it's kind we of an untapped. Un- we have, we have, it does not even begin to be unleashed. And yeah. and these are these are one thing. So with with DHA, like I I, I want to do um, more more events of food food events. Um, you know, and I and I think a lot of the other org, orgs are starting to look at this because there's just I think there's an amazing opportunity. And if you can get some of those, there are so many foodies out there. There's so yeah. many foodies out there that would just be stoked on that. Yeah. And what are they looking for? They're looking for that cool food experience. They're looking for those high-end quality ingredients, mm-hmm. right? They're experienced different people. And it's like you tell them like the story of how you procured this meat and it's basically never left your possession since it's since it died. Yeah. And it's here and it's wild and it's free and there's never going to there's never there will, there will be cuts of meat like this but there will never be this cut of meat again because right. that's a cool thing about wild game yeah. is that every animal is different yeah. like every animal is different and like it's well and yeah. i feel too for a lot of people when they see and hear when they see the meat cooking and they hear the story behind it yeah they connect with it in a primal way. Yeah. Where I've watched vegans eat deer meat yep. straight off a grill. I've yeah. watched vegetarians eat deer meat yeah. straight off the grill. I have a I have a hardcore vegetarian uh, friend who <clears throat> we were we were uh, took our kids camping, went fishing, and her son caught a trout, and she's like, I, I need to eat this because my son caught it. Mm-hmm. Like I I feel like I, I I need to do that. I mean, she hasn't become a meat eater, right? Mm-hmm. But it's. There, there's there's that connection there. It will get people yeah. to jump barriers. Right. Yeah. It it totally will. And it's it's super powerful. Yeah. And I don't think we I don't th- we we talk a lot about it. Um, I think I think we we talk a lot about it. And we hear about it, but I don't even I don't even think we've tapped the surface on it yet. Yeah. This is and this is why there's this growing generation of adult onset hunters, right? And there's these new people coming into the sport. And I think as hunters, we need to be ambassadors and really embrace them. Mm-hmm. Even though they may not, they may not have grown up like this. Well, they may have some 
you know, political different differences views. and yeah. views. They might be coming from a different perspective, but you know what? Like, they're the future. They're they're the future, but also like, well, I'll paint with a broad brush here. Yeah, somebody you're really good pretty, at that. Pretty, I know. I like that broad brush, right? Somebody coming out of San Francisco on the left end of the political spectrum. Yeah, that wants to get into hunting because they don't like factory farming, right? This is anti slaughterhouse. Anti slaughterhouse. This is yeah. this is really common. This isn't anything crazy. This is you're talking to me, except I'm who? Yeah. But who do you think can best change the perspectives of other people? Is that is that you in your bubble, or this new person mm-hmm. who has exposure to all like these different people that's immersed in that community? That's immersed in that community, yeah. right? They so, go home. They do a venison flip flop for their friends, and yeah. people are like, "Oh, my dude, God. I want, I want." I want into that. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, and what the person that you just described as a hunter's education instructor in Marin County, you just described 95% of every single person that comes through every class that I teach. Somebody from San Francisco in mm-hmm. the tech industry that's left, that's anti slaughterhouse food and wants to start providing their own meat for their family. Yeah. And if we as hunters aren't. And I'm not catering or not taking them to our fucking hunting hole, yeah. our honey holes. But if we aren't helping them yeah. and putting the hand out and saying, hey, man, I'm here to help you. Yeah. How are we going to pass along the tradition? How are we going to instill in these people that we're not crotchety ass old men, you know, hunters yeah. that are like, sorry, stay out of our spot. We, we can't share any hunting information with you because yeah. we have opposing views. Then we're just as bad as them. Yeah. And and. And we're all, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it at times, but it's like, that's, if we want hunting, the perspective of hunting to change, it's really embracing those people, having, having them um, gain successes, either large or small, mm-hmm. and taking that back to their communities. And then all of a sudden, you know, and this will take time, it's not going to happen overnight. But when they change those perspectives within their communities, and all of a sudden those those bad bills come through in the legislature, people are like, "Wait a minute! No, 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 no! no hunt. This doesn't make Dude, sense." Dude, like, like, no, my buddy, my friend hunts, yeah, and he's telling me that this that you know this is good or bad or or different or whatever, right? Well, um, then then some perspectives <clears throat> start to change, and that's an uphill battle. It's not easy. Well, it's not going to happen overnight. But there's we've had so much population growth that. 50 years ago, everybody's buddy hunted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But there's been doubling and tripling of the amount of people that live inside of our state that we've lost that connection where it's like maybe everybody's fifth buddy. Yeah. Everybody's tenth buddy Mm -hmm. or smaller hunts, you know, or they know a friend of a friend of a friend who might have shot a deer one time and is no longer hunting. Yeah. Right? So it... But these can... There's these connections, and so yeah, we're just we're, we're that's part of that looking for community, right? When you find other hunters in this state, and especially in I'll call it an unlikely place, you're like, cool. Who are you? Where are you from? Like, yeah. I want to know about you, right? It's like, oh wow, it's like weird dating without Tinder or something, yeah, you know, right? without the hookup, right? I've never used an internet dating device. So. Um, but there's there's that. Um, my wife has seen this in her practice. Of, she has people come in and. and and my wife will tell people it's just like I, I there are people like, Well, where do you where do you get your meat from? And she's like, I hunt it. And they're like, You do? Yeah. And then like almost unequivocally, 
my uncle used to hunt. I used to love his sausage. He used to make deer sausage for me. Oh my God, it was the best thing ever. And he's, you know, he's since passed on and, and I miss that. Mm-hmm. And so my wife is literally like, she's like, hey, I need, I need to bring, um, you know, do we have any, do we have any summer sausage? I need to bring some to a patient. Mm-hmm. And she does. And she share, and I mean, she shares it with them like that because people have these connections. They're not, we're not that far removed right now. And now it's that opportunity where we need to see that. Of, you know, my dad used to do that. My uncle, my uncles used to do that. And we used to have venison all the time, but we don't anymore. And oh my God, I would love a piece of venison. Mm-hmm. Share that. And it's like, it's, it's awesome. Right. Yeah. And that's that. You know, it's it, it's those experiences that, that you share. I mean, like you said, there's the the flip flop is such a cool thing <laughs> that you do. No, because it's this it's this interactive. It's it's not. I mean, it's it's one thing to cook, right? It's it's one thing. It's one thing to like cook for people and share and share this meal, but to like you know to have this interactive experience of standing around the fire, cooking flesh. It's as old as time. Yeah. Right, that is telling stories. That is oldest time and telling stories and and reliving that hunt. That is that is in deep down in everybody that is in their DNA, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, and and those can, <clears throat> those can trigger just such such deep reactions. And I think that's what gets you know it it can really trigger people in a good way in a, in a really good way. They're like and being able to do that with people and to share that experience. I think. That's that's one of our keys to, to sharing this perspective. That's why I say like I don't think we've unleashed this yet. And we run into regulatory challenges with serving wild game. Um, you know, we obviously can't market it. We, you know, we've we've gotten be, we've gotten beyond that with the Lacey Act, um, and so th- those are still some challenges. But but to be able to go out and try and share share those meals, share those experiences, yeah, it's such a such a powerful thing. And like I said, I, there's there's so much that we could do with so many people. Yeah. And I'm trying to like figure this out. Like I'd love to be able to like, like, I don't know, like rent like a taco truck and take it to downtown San Francisco and, and hand out deer tacos for free. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause people would be stoked on it. Yeah. I guarantee you. I yeah. mean, I might get a few wing nuts. Yeah. Right. But who, who gives a shit? Yeah. Right? right. So switching gears, cause we're going to have to wrap this up. It sounds like, Department of Fish and Wildlife might be knocking on the door. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> Not in a negative way. Um, switching gears. So we work with a company called Dead Eye Outfitters. They make t-shirts, hats, not camo products. Um, hoodies, socks, comfortable lifestyle attire. Lifestyle brand? Yeah, lifestyle brand. So we do a Dead Eye question. It's the Dead Eye Minute, right? We do it every podcast. You need to mace yourself? I can't right now. Let me finish this. Really? Oh, my God. All right. Hold on one second. So that was interesting. A bow almost just exploded. But we got it in advice. So the dead eye question... If you were, now this is a decision that's going to affect you for the rest of your life, all right? Hypothetically affect me for the rest of my life? Oh, for sure. Okay. So if you're in the backcountry and for whatever reason you're stuck out there, the only way you're going to come out is you had the decision, 
You had to either cut off both thumbs or cut off one leg at the knee. What would you choose? Leg at the knee. Why? Seems like there's far better leg prosthetics than thumb prosthetics at the moment. I don't think there is. Is there any thumb? I mean, you lose that opposable thumb, man. Like, well, you lose both. Yeah. Right. Like you're like, done. Like you know, I, that's a purely like I I I'd, I'd say yeah. I think you can you can get by with uh, w- without a leg from yeah. the knee down. I mean, you've seen um, you know some crazy stories about guys with a with prosthetic legs that are still crushing it hunting. Right. And you could probably do it without without thumbs, but um, I feel like how are you going to hold your rifle? Well, you could. I'm sure you could figure it. Are you, right. Who knows? Necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Yeah, like you'd right? figure, you'd figure out a yeah. way, make it work. You'd figure out a way to do it, yeah. um, something. But I think if I if I had to choose, yeah, I think I I'm, I might do that. Right on, man. I don't know how you get into that position of like, well, it's either my thumbs or my leg. So, I don't know either, you know. But you know, gotta keep it interesting. It's kind right? of a brutal, brutal choice. Yeah, but I love the game. Would you Would you rather? Yeah, you know, right. So, do you have any concluding thoughts before we wrap this podcast up? Concluders. So, my friend Randy does marital advice on his. Uh-huh. <clears throat> this, is, this is somewhat marital advice. This is hunting buddy advice. Oh. Um, the best... So, we all have that, you know, you, you hear the stories, you're planning a hunt, whatever. Guy backs out at the last minute. Right? Or whatever. Like, I got this guy and he bailed on me. I have a theory. This is purely anecdotal. But here's my my idea on this. Is that you need to befriend your buddy's wife or spouse or whomever. And become friends with her. And introduce the idea of going on a trip with him to her first. Because I think what happens is, is guys are like, yeah, we'll go hunting. Yeah, we'll go. When that when that trip comes up, yeah, I got it on the calendar. Yeah, I'll go. And guess what? He sits on his ass. He never talks to, to his significant <laughs> other and says, hey, me and Joe want to go on a hunting trip in the second week of October. Is that going to be cool? Yeah. And so they wait to the last minute. They spur it on him. And they're like, hell no, you're not going. We got all this other stuff to do. So it's like befriend your buddy's wife or yeah. spouse, right? And you should if you're hanging if you guys hang out together or whatever, you're over at their house, you guys share dinners or whatnot. Yeah. Like be like be like, yeah, we were talking about maybe going hunting this fall. Yeah. Like in the springtime you're talking about this and like introducing it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden if you get her on board, then it's likely to happen. Yeah. Or maybe it's cool enough that she actually hunts too and wants to come with you. Yeah. Or go along on the trip or tag along or whatever. Yeah. So, because I've, you know, I've seen those stories just like fall apart. And I think a lot of that is, is that guys like overpromise themselves and, but like don't communicate, you know, back on their, on their back end of where they, of where, where they need to communicate this yeah. to get permission. So yeah. that's my, that's my random, random piece of advice. Right on. But right on. Cool, man. Well, yeah. how can people look you up? Uh, so, um, if you want to check out Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, we've got a, um, you can go to backcountryhunters.org and then from there you can drill down and follow into California, uh, access the California board. I think there's a link to the, the California 
uh, Facebook group for the California chapter. I don't forget what the subtitle is on that. It's a public group, so it's really easy to find. Um, and you can navigate through the, the Facebook page. Uh, Backcountry Hunters CA on Instagram for that. Um, if you want to follow me and my shenanigans, uh, my Instagram handle is jryoung38. Um, and I'm always sharing mostly pictures of food. Good food, um, too. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Um, but, yeah. Right That's on. It. So, I don't know. You probably find me online somewhere. Like I said, I'm on Randy Newberg's Hunt Talk forums. Um, you know, I frequent a few. Probably spend more time than I should on some on some <laughs> Facebook groups. But, um, you know, hunting's super important to me. And, and I think that I, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity for us to improve where hunting's at, make it better. Um, and, and, you know, embrace the new people coming into it and, and, uh, see where it can go. So right on, man. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for hosting this shindig tonight. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.